Sebastian Salazar still big-timing us. Matthew McConaughey, he didn't big-time Austin FC, but don't worry about it. I think Sebi will show up a little later in his place again, the number 10, Mauricio Pedraza. Mau, how you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here as always. Uh, this chair starts uh, feeling a little comfortable. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, Seb, Seb better not get too comfortable because that's a hot seat right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. We're, we're going to have more intensity than those Austin players who were just like going through the motions like... Listos, verde, listos, no, verde. No, no, we're pumped up. <laughs> we're pumped up because we're going to have a great show coming up. Uh, by the way, our production team wants to remember something that happened 19 years ago. I don't see the point. I don't know why, but, but I think we're going to have to do it, if you know what I'm saying. I think I, I'm getting what you're throwing out there. I'm catching your drift. Uh, we'll save it for a little later, but I guarantee it'll be worth the wait. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know if I'm going to like to be honest with you. But we're going to start things with our good friend, Julie Foudy, who joins us right now. Julie, how are you? Hello, lads. How are you? We're doing great. You're doing a great job at the Euros, by the way. Uh, Killing it. Killing it. Killing it. Uh, But we want to talk to you about the U.S. women's national team. They played last night against Nigeria. They got the victory to nail and just we're going to check the highlights and get your impressions, your opinions on what you saw last night. What do you make of the game? Um, I, you know, I think it was a little bit of a slog, this whole tournament. It was, it was hot on purpose because it's going to be like that uh, when they head over to Japan and Tokyo, of course. Um, but they did get two goals against Nigeria in that last game. Do you want to run through all the highlights? Are we doing it? Yeah, well, we're watching right now. Uh, they control possession, a lot of a lot of attempts, but we're going to talk about this a little bit. Kristen Press and then Lynn Williams to actually her complete the score to nil. We see Carly Lloyd involved in that play again. That's a very difficult finish from Christian Press, who's been uh, honestly one of the better players in this tournament, one of the better players last night. A really good finish. Uh, and, and she was active all night. You see there, Megan Rapino, Christian yeah. Press again. Uh, tell us about what you saw last night. Yeah. yeah, she was lively, really active, right? And then you saw when Lynn Williams came on, that's the pace right there that we know that Lynn Williams possesses. And guess who gave her that ball, Herc? Kristen <laughs> Press. Uh, so I thought Kristen Press actually showed very well in this summer series, these three games. And that was huge for Lynn Williams because we'll talk about it a little later, but Lynn Williams is fighting to get into that squad of 18, which is so tight, coming off having 23 for a World Cup. To have to then chop that to 18 to go over for Olympics with such a tight turn in terms of games and the schedule there, it's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. Uh, we check on those stats, Herc. You see reigning women's World Cup champions at the Olympics. It doesn't happen very often. It's never happened. It's so never happened. It, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the U.S. Uh, women's national team can actually do it and be historical, make actual history in this tournament. Uh, Julie, the team didn't, didn't have a great finishing game against Nigeria. The same thing happened against Portugal. Is this a cause of concern for the team? 
Yeah, I actually do think it is a cause of concern because I think you're going to see the approach that these teams took where Portugal, for example, sits in a low block. They keep it compact. They know that if they open up the game, they can't match up against the United States. And I thought the United States was poor in that final third. Bad decisions, uh, chances where they could have got in line, made more of a vertical threat, wasted final passes. And so, but it's good it's happening now, of course, right? I mean, that was the point of this series was playing hot weather, replicate the sequence of games in terms of game, two days off, game, two days off, game. Um, look at some players for a final time and work on how we're going to get through teams, which the United States is going to face in the Olympics, who sit in a low block. And so I think Vlad Wendonovsky said after these games, he said, look, this has been great for us because those are all things we need to work on heading into Tokyo. Yeah, obviously mimicking those conditions can only uh, benefit the, the women's national team. Now, let's talk about Christian Press because I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw last night from Christian Press. But last World Cup, she wasn't a first-choice starter. Is she a lockdown starter today for this national team? I, I think so, Herc. And I think um, before you had Tobin Heath in the mix. Tobin Heath's been out with a bad knee injury. So Tobin Heath hasn't played since January of 2021. So while she was over at Manchester United with Kristen Press, um, she suffered that injury and has been really slow to come back. So if she doesn't make the roster, which is still a question mark, having not played, even if her knee is feeling a little bit better, she has literally not had a game since January. Definitely Press is on the roster and definitely I think Press is starting. And I think these three games sealed that because I, to your point, Hercules, I think you said earlier, Press was the liveliest, I think, of that front three. Yeah. Let's go back to Lynn Williams coming off the bench late and scoring. She's one of those players in the roster bubble right now. Do you believe that goal punched her ticket to Tokyo? I think it punches her ticket if Tobin Heath is not available. Mm. I think with this roster of 18, you're looking at six backs, five midfielders, five forwards. And you know the four already are going to be press, who we talked about. The two number nines, Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan. And then on that other side is Megan Rapino. And so those are four that are locked in. If, if Heath is available, then I think she becomes the fifth. If she's a question mark, then I think Lynn Williams steps into that. And not because of her pace, because I think that's probably the one area is actually the finishing that's been the thing that holds her back. It hasn't been as good as it needs to be, so that was huge to get that goal. But Vlako Andonovsky loves that she can give him work on both sides of the ball. She's great at defending, has a good engine, will press, will set the press for them, and so he really likes that side of her game. Uh, Julie, we're coming off a pandemic, and I'm looking at the, the roster rules. You're only allowed 18 players. Now, listen, I've got very limited uh, understanding of what is the Dutch language, but I do have <laughs> Google Translate. We came across the Dutch Telegraph, and it's actually the Dutch uh, coach, Wingman, uh, who has uh, put in a request for the IOC for a full 22 players Olympic squad. It says, essentially, the alternates will not be alternates. They would just instead be in the roster. So they want to extend the amount of roster positions it has FIFA support. Yeah. Uh, so is this a good idea? Should they it's do this? What kind of impact would it have? Yeah, and especially look at the Euros, which we're covering right now. They bumped their rosters up to 26, created a lot of flexibility from 23 for, of course, the situation we're still all dealing with, which is COVID. And we've seen how it's affected teams 
that are playing right now in Europe. And so, and we know that it probably is going to be an issue, sadly, in Tokyo. So I absolutely, and it has FIFA support, I absolutely hope and have my fingers crossed because I think it's the right thing to do, that the IOC says, yes, let's bring those additional players. Let's provide some padding because it's ridiculous, honestly, to try and play six games in a two and a half, three week schedule and that heat with 18 players, given all that they're going through right now. Uh, Judy, I want to bring up another topic to you. Uh, Victoria's Secrets recently announced Megan Rapino as one of their new models. What does this say about her impact outside of the sport? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, they, they signed a, a lot of uh, really impressive women who are activists, who are for um, lesbian and gay rights, who are for um, equal pay and just advocates in so many great areas. So this is something that not only speaks to something that's near and dear to Megan Rapinoe, but um, good job on the brand for recognizing it's it's not all about just the catalog anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Although know. I am not an expert on Victoria's Secret, to be fair. <laughs> that makes two of us. I'm not an expert, but I, I will have to say, uh, unfortunately, I used to see things through a not-so-great lens when I was an adolescent. Now that I'm a father and a husband, I see things through a different perspective, with a different perspective, I should say. And it actually makes me feel good that my daughter will have these type of role models to look at as she's growing up to realize like there aren't certain parameters that you have to fit in in today's society. I think Megan Rapinoe is a great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to look a certain way, right? You don't have to be, you know, a super tall, gorgeous model to actually fit in. And I think it is healthy that they're, they're showing this other side. Well said, well said, no doubt. Um, let's go to dripping or tripping uh -oh. because the new uniforms were announced, the new kits, away kits for both uh, U.S. men's and women's national teams. Uh, Julie, your thoughts? I've, let me let me tell you this first. We spoke with Herc about this on our show in Spanish, Ahora o Nunca. I'm a huge, yeah. huge fan of the U.S. kids regularly. I didn't really like this one. Do you like those kids? <laughs> you know, Mauricio, they are growing on me. At first, I was like, <laughs> what is that? And I'm like, my eyes hurt. And then yeah. as they kept playing, I was like, okay, it's growing on me. And then I heard it was like, you know, a flag waving is what it's supposed to mean. I don't know if is that's it? true. Okay, 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 boomers. <laughs> Settle down, both of you. Hey, listen, the fans are going to love this. I'm hearing the same type of reaction as when the Where's Waldo, the red hoop jerseys came yeah. out yeah. back in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Those jerseys are iconic today. You know why? The way you made people feel. Till this date, the only victory the U.S. men's national team ever got in the Estadio Azteca was with those jerseys. They remember the feeling, and they will as well. And personally, I think those jerseys are sick. Those are dripping. Dripping! Okay. There are semi-dripping for me. <laughs> I think by next week, when I lose my boomer status, they may be dripping. All right. So I'm still tripping, and I don't care. I don't think I'm going to like them at all, especially... If the U.S. men's national team wears that jersey and beats Mexico at Estadio Azteca, I don't want to see that. But we want to see you on the show every time. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time and keep enjoying the Euros. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you, Julie. She thank called you. Italy. Thanks, guys. So here we go. CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. The field is set. Eight teams for three direct spots and then one half spot. 
trying to reach Qatar 2022. And we obviously have the discussion, Mexico, USA, yeah. and we also what happened with the U.S. men's national team four years ago. Do you foresee any surprises for USA and Mexico or uh, Mexico? You know what? Let me start with Mexico really quickly. I don't, even though they're struggling right now as of late to score goals. Rogelio Funes Mori just got his passport. Uh, Javier Hernandez in the preliminary roster for Gold Cup. So maybe he's back in the picture. And you still have the what is potential health of Raul Jimenez. He could potentially get on the field and do what he did in the past for you. So they should be okay. And Estadio Azteca. I mean, how many games do they lose against CONCACAF opponents in Estadio Azteca? So I'm not worried. The U.S. men's national team, I know we're... High and mighty right now. Just beat Mexico yep. in a final, CONCACAF Nations League final. A lot of young talent. Golden generation. Golden generation. But I've been there. I've been in San Pedro Sula, and I've witnessed firsthand Timothy Chandler melting under the, the sun in Honduras with grass going up to the shins. The ball doesn't move. The opponents are different. They're fighting and clawing for every inch. The referees play by different laws because it's CONCACAF. The fans are rabid. It is a different animal. Say what you want. Europe, it should equate if you're successful in Europe, in the Champions League, if you're successful in the Premier League, La Liga, you should be successful in CONCACAF. Okay, I understand that saying, but it's different. And most of these players aren't going to be around every single game. Look, these are the scores against uh, the last outing. Maybe not official, World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cup games, CONCACAF champions, whatever. No, but it are. says a lot. Oh, it yeah, says yes. a lot. It says a lot. On paper, both should advance uh, one and two. But this is CONCACAF. On okay. paper doesn't mean anything. I'm going to make it very easy for you. You just gave us a great explanation, and, 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 and your thoughts were very, very clear. There's no room for surprises. Hmm. There's no room for surprises. That's strange. Mexico and the U.S. men's national team, they both are going to be Hold on. Qatar 2022. Can, can, it's as easy, can as I simple stop, as that. Can I stop you real quick? Yes, you can. I, I don't want to discredit. I understand there are two biggest teams in, in, the, in what is CONCACAF, and I don't want to discredit the rest. But Mexico in 2014... Made it in a playing game yeah. against New Zealand with 12 points. Mm -hmm. They needed a Graham Susie goal mm -hmm. yeah. to get them to bring them back to life. Yes. They needed that goal. Okay. The U.S. men's national team had a three percent chance of not going to the FIFA World Cup in 2018. And guess what happened on the eventful last match day? That three percent came through. So there's always rooms. This room for surprise. On paper, there shouldn't be any surprises because both teams are overly talented for what is this confederation. I'm going to take it up a notch. Do you remember those famous Ricardo Lavolpe's words before the World Cup qualifiers when he was the manager? Which ones? Caminando. Okay, so okay. they're going to walk this. Both teams okay. are going to walk through the qualifiers. Okay. Who's your third team? Who's in better position to be that third team that makes it direct straight to the World Cup 2022. It's complicated. I don't have one third team. This is why I'm talking about surprises. There's a few. If you look at a team like Canada and all the talent they have offensively, Kyle Laren, who's a goal scorer, Jonathan David, who's coming off you know a great season in league and he lifted a, a trophy. Uh, Alfonso Davies, uh, who already won a Champions League, uh, just unbelievable amount of talent all over the place. Players all over Europe. You look at Honduras, who four straight cycles being in the top four, uh, three straight Olympic Games, a semifinal in yep. the Olympic Games. Yep. Uh, what they've done, they consistently make things difficult. I think there are more than maybe a few teams that could be vying for that third place and the fall of Costa Rica. Costa Rica maybe not in that third place anymore because that generational shift and, and these players who together haven't won since 2019. Uh, it's going to be complicated for them. I think that third spot is open. I like Honduras a lot. 
you just described what they've done in recent years. We saw what happened during the Olympic qualifiers in Guadalajara, and they have a very, very experienced and solid squad. I like the manager a lot. And if I'm Costa Rica, I'm a little worried. Yes. I'm a little worried if I'm Costa Rica because I just don't see they're, they're just going to name a new manager. They uh -huh. just fire their manager. Ronald Gonzalez. Exactly. The results have not been there. And I see a disconnection between, I was going to say older, but experienced player and the younger generation. That's, that's a worrisome gap. Yeah. That's a very worrisome gap. You know gap. what the most worrisome thing for Costa Rica is? Uh, we're seeing Keylor Navas, who slowly but surely is dissing himself yeah. from the national team. Totally. Yeah. Totally. All right. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to talk qualifiers a lot in the upcoming months. But now we have another guest and we'll talk France and Liga MX. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And we now welcome our colleague, Julian Lorenz. Julian, it's good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. You just saw and heard Florian Tovan, who you know well. He's joining our uh, Mexican squad, Tigres, and it's going to be paired alongside André Pierre Gignac. Let me, let me start off with this. What, what kind of player is Tovan for those who haven't watched him play yet? Hi, guys. I'm very excited to start with to be, to be on the show. Uh, and for Florian Tovan... Uh, he's he's a, an inverted winger, so he's left-footed and very, very left-footed, but plays on the right wing, on the right-hand side, because he likes cutting inside. I think Tigres fan, be ready for the Tovan special, which is coming inside a bit like Iron Robin used to do, and then hmm. curling it into the opposite top corner with his left foot. That's his special. But this is why he is. He's a winger with a lot of skills, with a lot of pace on the ball. He's a very intelligent player as well, and, and has a lot of experience winning the World Cup with France. Even if he was not a starter, he was still part of the squad, reaching a, a Europa League final with Marseille, for example, that they eventually lost to Atleti. But still, he was a big part in, in, in how they got to that final in that season 27-2018 when he really was at the I think at the top of his game he scored 22 goals in Ligue 1 that season plus I think around 10 assists the last two seasons were not as good one because he had a bad injury two seasons ago last season was difficult uh, in a club point of view but certainly he has so much talent and he's very very excited to come to Tigres Okay, Selenio Renz, you need to help me understand something. He's 28 years old I'm sure he had a plethora of opportunities elsewhere in Europe What's behind the decision for this World Cup winner to head to Liga Mekis? So a, it's a good question. There's a, there's a few, there's a few uh, reasons why. The first one is, is Gignac, of course. They knew each other from Marseille. They were not like brothers, but they, they, they got on well in Marseille. They were good friends. And I think uh, once Tovin decided to run out his contract in Marseille and become a free agent and, and see what kind of offers he was getting from Europe. But he was very open-minded about going anywhere, really. I think Gignac played a big part in convincing him that Tigres was, was a great next move for him, that he could have an amazing time there, that the team was very competitive, that the league was very competitive, that it was something very different to what he would have got had he gone to a club in Italy or back to England where he went before with Newcastle and didn't really have a good time there. 
So certainly that was something different. The contract, of course, the money is very good. It's a big contract. Uh, he, he, I think he, he appreciated the effort that Tigres made to give him that offer and to, to try to, to sign him with, those, with that kind of contract. And I, and I think he likes, he came, he, so first he played for Marseille, which is the most maybe passionate club in France. And I think between Tigres and Marseille, there's a lot of similarities in, in how the fans live for football and, and that kind of experience and atmosphere that you've got at the stadium. But also he started his career at Bastia in Corsica. And again, it's a very similar approach and relationship that the fans have with their football team, where really you live for your football club. And I think going to Tigres, he would find that again very much so. And that's something as well that was very appealing to him. What I want to know now, if there's a Tigres follower base in Marseille after what has happened with André Pierre Gignac <laughs> and now Florent Tovan. I want to talk about André Pierre Gignac because there's been, it's, it's been rumored that he might be in consideration to reinforce the French national team who will play, that will play in the Olympics, in the Tokyo Olympics. Is there any truth to that? Yes, man. The big truth is Whoa. that he knows Sylvain Ripoll, the, uh, the French under-21 manager, really well from, from his time back in Ligue 1. And the problem that France has for this Olympic team right now is that a lot of clubs in Ligue 1 don't want to let their players go because it's right at the start of the Ligue 1 season. They're not official FIFA date, so you're not obliged to let your players go. So a lot of Ligue 1 clubs like PSG, for example, don't want Neymar to go or Mbappé or Marquinhos. And a lot of other clubs are like that. So. Sylvain Ripoll, now the manager, is looking somewhere else and, and he knows that Gignac is available. He knows that Gignac would love to come. He knows that Gignac would be very good because he's so experienced going in with a, with a very young squad because he would be part of the three players over the age of 23. All the others would be quite young players. So maybe, maybe Ripoll, the manager, thinks that Gignac could be very much a, a, an added asset to the squad by his experience and also the level that he showed at Tigres. I mean, the guy has been on fire, really. Yeah. And I don't care people who are saying, yeah, but it's only the Mexican League or whatever. <laughs> He's been on fire, and I think he could be a great asset for France. He could be a great asset for France. I still have my question. He's 36 years old, so a lot of questions there. Why, why opt for a 36-year-old and not give somebody else an opportunity that maybe is younger and coming up? But, but that's for another time. I want to ask you, because oftentimes when we compare Liga MX and MLS, it's on this side of what is the globe. What's the perception that these two leagues have in Europe? What type of uh, talk do you hear coming out of people's mouths when they speak of these leagues? So I think to start with, Gignac has, has changed the perception that we had of Liga MX without that in France, is that we start watching it and certainly what we get from Gignac, but, but also even players who, for whom it, it didn't really happen for them, like Andy Delors, for example, yeah. who I really yeah. thought we do really well in, in Mexico and, and didn't for different reasons. Same with Colo Jezak. But when they came back, they said, this is, this is really serious. Yeah. This is a really good league. It's, it's physical. It's very technical, of course. But, and the atmospheres are amazing. So the perceptions changed a bit. With MLS, it's, 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 it's quite similar now. We've got players like Blaise Matuidi from France who've, mm -hmm. who've traveled over there, playing over there. And certainly those two are very interesting, even for French clubs who are more and more looking at players, both in Liga MX, young players especially. Uh, and we saw, for example, Lille going and have a, a proper look at, at Mexican clubs and Mexican young players. And, and same with MLS. So I think those two leagues are certainly on the way up for the perception that we have in France and the interest that we've got in France as well. It's one thing to have an interest on the league. It's a different 
thing to have an interest on players. And here's my question to you, because, you know, it's been a struggle for Mexican players to try and go out play in Europe. And we had a couple of cases like Guillermo Choa playing in, in Ligue 1, Rafael Marquez mm. when he played for Monaco. What's the perception of the Mexican player and the U.S. player in Europe? So I think the, the problem is, and I will, I will take you the example of Alfonso Davis, which for mm -hmm. me is, is, is such a perfect example that as a young player, Alfonso Davis was offered to a lot of French clubs, clubs like Bordeaux, Nantes, Marseille, even big clubs who didn't even take the opportunity to just trial him, not even trialing him. And then he goes to Bayern, he wins the Champions League, he's amazing. And now people say, oh, oh, we wish we kind of trialed him. Oh yeah, you wished, <laughs> but you didn't take that opportunity because I think at that time, MLS or players coming from the US or from North America were maybe not as important for French clubs as, as someone from Spain or from Italy or, or whatever. This is, this is changing. And we see again with Lille, who are going, who are going very much to have a look at the, the Mexican market and getting players from, 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 from Mexico to, to, Ligue, to, to Ligue 1, to Lille. Even if they're young players, they will give them time to adapt and to improve and then they will play them for sure. And it's the same with MLS players. Yet, that doesn't mean that this summer, for example, 20 players are going to come from Liga MX right. or MLS to Liga. However, there's more and more scouting done in Liga MX, in MLS as well. You've got far more French clubs now with, with, with permanent scouts in Mexico, in, in, in the US as well, to make sure that they don't miss the next Alfonso Davis. That's very, very interesting. Great point. Uh, Jules, it's great to have you on the show. Please come back soon. Merci beaucoup. My Thank French you. Tigre. Anytime. <laughs> Merci. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Big news out of Mexico. Giovanni Dos Santos will not return to Club América. They're parting ways after two, two years, four seasons, in which uh, it was a disappointment to see Giovanni Dos Santos, who was let go by the LA Galaxy. His dad was a big, big figure, big idol for Club America. He tried to emulate that, but was un, uh, unsuccessful trying to do that. So how do we want to label Giovanni Dos Santos and, and Club America? Was it a disappointment or was it actually something that you expected? Uh, I would say disappointment because it's Giovanni Dos Santos mm. and uh, he's still very young and relatively, you know, 32 years old. He's still got some years in him. You would have expected a lot more. I understand the situation and how he left the LA Galaxy, them buying out Giovanni Dos Santos' contract. But that's only because they had Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the other people who were still under contract, you couldn't let go. They still had guarantees. They still had a, a, a certain way of being there and adding value. That wasn't the case for Giovanni Dos Santos. So they paid $6.5 million to watch him walk. You would have expected more out of his stay at Club America. A lot of that was riddled with injury, inconsistencies, but it's... Giovanni Dos Santos and how we've known him pretty much. Well, yeah. Um, what's next for him? There are a couple of offers on the table for Giovanni Dos Santos. One very serious from Club Toluca. And apparently he's very interested in taking that. Uh, we'll still have to wait and see how that develops. But do you see his future more in the Mexican League, Liga MX, or maybe a return to Major League Soccer? Listen, 
Giovanni Dos Santos needs to have a coming to Jesus moment and come to terms with he's not that big money player anymore. And he's going to have to swallow his pride and go elsewhere for a huge pay cut. Let that elsewhere be Major League Soccer. Let it be in the LA market. I could easily see Giovanni Dos Santos in one of the LA teams, whether that's back with the Galaxy where his brother plays, where he has family, or LAFC where oh. one of his good buddies, Carlos Vela, Charlie Candle plays. Both coaches could get a lot out of him. He knows the league very well. He was an MLS best 11 in 2016. He had some very good moments in a Galaxy jersey. When healthy in this league, he produced. He's a player that I feel if he's on low money, you're not gambling, and if you can get something out of him, it's a win-win for all parties involved. I don't see how this doesn't happen. If you're LAFC or the LA Galaxy, you're not on the phone picking up and asking, you know what? Let's make a minimal effort to bring him in. All right, 41 games, four goals, and only two assists. You said when healthy. That's a big win. When was actually the last time that Giovanni Dos Santos completed a season healthy? When Let he was you. actually relevant for a team? It's been a long time, Let Eric. me tell you who you're picking up, uh, this when healthy player. You're signing, if you could sign, if you could sign this player, the most successful Mexican national team player that there is. That's relative. No, it's not. It's it is. fact. He's won it at is. every single level. U-17 well, World Cup, first winner. No doubt. U-23 gold medalist. Uh, he's won three gold cups. He had yeah. the famous firma la firma la goal against the U.S. Men's National Team in a final. Mm. He's played in three World Cups. He scored in that no era penal game versus Holland, or the, the Netherlands, I should say. This is a player that with the Mexican national team has done it. He's probably the most successful player they've ever had with the Mexican national team. Mexican national teams. Okay. okay? Um, That's who you're signing. And if you can get any sliver, any, any sliver of his fitness, of his health, at a minimal price, you do it. It makes sense. I strongly disagree. He's had good moments with the Mexican national team. Undoubtedly. We're not, we're not going to find that out if he was good or bad. He had great moments. But the big question mark with Giovanni Dos Santos has always been about consistency. Not only, be, not only on health terms. Also on playing terms, even when he was healthy, he wasn't always that great, great player. And I believe there was a problem with the kind of expectations that we had for Giovanni Dos Santos. Because he came out of La Masia. He played with Ronaldinho. He was coming out of this great system in Barcelona. And then he was successful with the Mexican national team at a youth level. Yes, he was part of that gold medal in London 2012. But after he moved to Tottenham, everything just went no, south. Yeah, Real was good for him. Yeah, it was, was but it was just him. a year, or that's, a that's, year that's and a half. But you know, and his brother you, was there you, with him. You hit the nail on the head when you spoke about expectations. We've got a kid in the Mexican market. So now Mexico, the federation, the national team has a kid who moves like Ronaldinho. Yeah, that was sort of Sort of looks like Ronaldinho, but he also acts like Ronaldinho. Like maybe we have something here. Gold ball, golden ball at what was the U-17 World Cup. Maybe we have something here. And that wasn't the case. He didn't live up to those expectations, but he was still a very good player for the national team, a very productive player, went healthy. And at 32 years of age, if there's any chance of recapturing some of that magic and it's minimal for a club, mm. I just think it's smart business. Uh, you said something very important, and I want to retake it. When you said he acts like Ronaldinho, yeah. he also acted like Ronaldinho off the field at a very young age, and that was a big problem. That was a big problem because he created, and it's all on him, it's all on him. He created this persona and this reputation of a bad boy off the field. He was probably just 
taken that picture once after a party in London with his teammates, but he could never, ever find his, find his way out of that reputation. And I believe that hurt him. It could hurt him. But if we're talking about where he could land, I don't think it hurts him enough. I, I have to keep repeating myself with this. But if it's the right money, the right team, right situation, it's a flyer. You're not taking a risk on Giovanni Dos Santos. The, the, the payback, the dividends could be so much more. You just have to do it. Any of you like Herc? Do not speak Italian. Here's the translation for that. I thought Italiano. I would come here and play with a cigarette in my mouth. And instead, it is difficult. All right, this is a great segue to welcome the, hey! host, the host of Football Americas back on his own show. Comes and goes as he pleases. Must Sebast be nice. Sebastian Salazar, the man of the hour. Como esta, Sebi? I'm doing well. I want to give a shout out to my friends at Cuba America Look at your as resume, well. please. Do, do they usually. want to send me a small shirt? A small shirt, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sevi Salazar usually hosts Football Americas. That's, that's, your, that's your resume now. Uh, do you agree? I'll her? take it. Yeah, it's okay. I love the, the production crew having a shot, a couple shots right down the resume. Look at that. Always working on his t-shirt game. Yeah, <laughs> Currently too busy with Euro 2020. Doing a great job, by the way. Killing it. Yeah, Killing it. Our good, good stuff, friend, my man. Good Sebastian. Stuff. All right, Sevi, you heard, because you speak Italian, of course, you heard what Pipita Higuain had to say about Major League Soccer. Is it a good look or a bad look for Major League Soccer? So it's a tough one, right? Is it a bad look because he said I could play with a cigarette in my mouth? Or is it a good look because he says at the end I was wrong and the league is actually tough? You know me. I'm negative. So I'm going to go it's a bad look because here's the reality, right? Most people don't. They're not going to read the article. They're not even going to read the whole quote. They're going to see the tweet. And most of what people are going to come away with is that Iguain, before he came to Inter-Miami, thought that he could play in Major League Soccer with a cigarette in his mouth. And I think that's only going to further the retirement league image that we've talked about before on this show. The league is so desperately trying to get away from it. The one thing I would say, because I don't want to become you know, too harsh on Higuain here, I love that he's being honest. You know, sometimes when these superstars come here, they say things about this league that maybe American fans, Major League Soccer front office people, MLS owners don't like, but we need some hard truths sometimes. So I don't mind Iguain being honest, but yeah, maybe uh, as Don Garber told us before, they should just do a whole like media training session for everybody involved with Inter-Miami. Why are we talking about Major League Soccer here and you're not trashing Iguain? I Listen, if only he knew somebody... If only he trusted somebody, valued their opinion, and this person had ties to Major League Soccer, could tell him what it was like. If only there was somebody out there in this world that he potentially could have that contact to, like his brother who played for many years in Major League Soccer. This is baffling to me. I'm glad he's honest as well. I am glad he's being honest. But there's a reason he's saying it's not what I thought. It's not as easy. Because it's not easy. For whatever technical and tactical deficiencies you may think Major League Soccer has, physically, all the players are very capable. The travel is very difficult. He isn't the first person we've heard it from. We've heard uh, Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, Kaká. We've heard other guys like Slatan. The travel's insane. You go from one place like L.A. to another place like Miami, five-plus-hour flight, three different time zones. You cross over international borders to Canada. You're playing on turf fields. You're playing in summer heat. You're playing in 100-degree humidity. Or, you know, humidity. It, it, it's insane the type of things you have to go through. And I'm glad he's being honest about it because it'd be very easy for him to say, 
listen, I'm not doing well because these players aren't on my level. But he did. Yeah, well, look, look, when you say, okay, it's hard, I think we need to be clear about what he means. It may not actually be level of competition hard. It's all those other things that you talk about, Herc. It's the travel. It's the non-charter flights from time to time. That's what makes this league very difficult. It's going to Houston in August and having to play a game in 90 degrees and 95% humidity just before the skies open up. That's the real challenge of MLS. I don't think this is Iguain giving MLS some type of overwhelming endorsement of quality. Uh, To Herc's point about his brother, do you know what would be even worse? if he actually spoke to his brother <laughs> and his brother told him, listen, man, you can't be smoking a cigarette and playing with your level. You are Pipita Higuain. You're, you're going to kill it in this league. 16 games so far, five goals, three assists, Sebi. Uh, are those numbers underperforming for Pipita Higuain at Inter Miami? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a goal every three games, I'll allow that to pass in Serie A. And people will say, oh, you've had a great season, but you bring him here to Major League Soccer. And I think you have to expect that he would deliver more. Now, I think there's a big caveat there, right? He's clearly stepped into a disaster of an organization there you go. in Inner Miami. And a lot of a striker, and Herc, I'm sure we'll speak to this more, is the pieces around you. How much service do you get? What kind of quality is it? I think it's pretty clear that the team around Higuain right now is not going to provide him with the quantity of service that he needs to really put up those big numbers. But yeah, I think it's totally fair to say that we've been disappointed so far with what we've seen from Higuain in a Miami shirt. He's just not the only one in a Miami shirt that's letting us down. That, that's it right there, isn't it, boys? The construction of this roster. Listen, he may be one of seven DPs, but those piece, DPs playing together aren't playing very well. It, it almost looks like he's <laughs> frustrated every time Rodolfo Pizarro's on the field and he doesn't get the ball. It, it seems to be a train wreck of a roster construction. Now, Chris Henderson, to no fault of his own, will come in and try to remedy that. But it is what it is. But also, one other thing, he's one of the highest paid players in Major League Soccer, which makes this even more worse. Yeah, no. I mean, I I can't disagree with you there. I think the other thing that probably makes us feel disappointed in Higuain is just that it's Higuain. Um, You've talked about it a lot on this show, what was promised by Inter Miami, by Jorge Mas, David Beckham, and everybody else involved with this team. And really what the lure of Miami is. It was so important for Major League Soccer to have a team in Miami because you knew it would be a draw to big names. So even if Higuain had scored 10 or 15 goals in whatever amount you said, the 16 games that he played, I think I would still be a little bit let down because as good of a player as he is, as great as his CV is, he's not the superstar that either Inter Miami needs or that this league needs to make Miami a household name, a household franchise. I just wanted to correct Sebi. Uh, he said in Miami. They're in Fort Lauderdale. Del Savi. My bad, my bad. <laughs> See, and now, and now Sebastian is supposed to be the negative one. Mm. Well, I'm just a realist. Nothing, nothing against Fort Lauderdale, but by I, the way. I've had some great times in Fort Lauderdale. We are big. Well, my wallet would allow me Football back Football Americas <laughs> is big in Fort Lauderdale, so shout out to them. Uh, okay, I didn't want to do this, but the production team is forcing me to do it. Mm. On this date... June 19th, June 17th, no, 2002. Look at John O'Brien. Dos a cero. The U.S. men's national team defeat Mexico at the Josh uh, 2002 this World Cup round of 16. One of the toughest moments in my life. So I want to go back to each one of you. Herc, do you remember where you were and how you celebrated that victory? I was in Las Vegas. It must have been the wee hours of the morning watching yep. this game with my father. And I still remember his face. The, the look of what just happened? My father, who's from Mexico, uh, I was born in this country. I rooted for both national teams. The look of what just happened and 
who did it just happen against? Mm. It was eye-opening for me and something I will never forget. And listen, to this day, what, what can you say, my friend? Sebi? I was in my parents' basement, and if you know kind of my story, my mom is Mexican, my dad is from the United States, so very much a split household at this one. My mom taught me the game, so Mexico is just kind of always the team that I've rooted for internationally and definitely against the United States. And I just remember feeling like I couldn't leave my house afterwards. I had talked so much smack to all my American friends. And Mao, it's interesting to hear you say it was one of the, the worst days of your kind of sporting yeah. fandom life. Imagine being surrounded by only fans of the U.S. men's national team and not being quiet like I hadn't been for the, the week leading into the match. You know, Mexico had won their group. They were the favorites. And it is a, a defeat that to this day hurts. I think any Mexican fan knows that that, that was a defeat that can almost never be corrected. That's, that's the ultimate bragging rights. Yep. Because no matter what happens at the Gold Cup, that Giovanni Dos Santos goal against Team Howard here at the Coliseum doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even if the U.S. men's national team didn't make it to Russia in 2018. Nothing matters until Mexico plays the U.S. again in the round of 16 of a World Cup with just one of the teams advancing. That would be the only time when we could find redemption for what happened in 2002. That still haunts me to this day. Do you guys, and want, I, do you guys want a moment here? I, need, <laughs> I needed that moment. Well, All right, I we have, uh, one more thing. It's just so unlikely that it'll happen again. Right? Yeah. It's so unlikely that they would even get drawn into the same spot of the bracket and then that one team would win the group and the other would finish second. I mean, it, it does feel like almost an impossibility hey, that Mexico will ever get a shot. World Cup 2026. Los Angeles. Oh, SoFi Stadium here in L.A. World Cup semifinals. Mexico contra Estados Unidos. There you go. La revancha. There you go. You guys, La revancha. You guys need therapy. Okay. Also... <laughs> On the state, three years ago, for ah, all of the Mexican este fans. All right, a little, a little happy moment right here. Chucky Lozano scoring against Manuel Neuer in Moscow. Herc, what you were inside the ask, stadium? Ask, ask me what I was doing. All right, what were you doing, Herc, at the moment? I was trying to ignore Sebastian Salazar, who was to my right, singing and chanting all game. I was trying to remind him we're there on work. We're in row like Z. Question. The question. nose bleeds. Was Sevi doing? the chant El Chucky Lozano he was, he was, El Chucky it was, it was a very you know what no. it, it, the game itself was, was a strange game it was it was good to see it, it was a lot of fun uh, but it wasn't so much fun for me being in the stands with all the Mexican fans and not because uh, you know it was a bad experience just because they all recognized us. They, yeah. all, they, all, they all knew exactly who you were, <laughs> and it was beer flying. You were being grabbed. You are being asked questions. You almost couldn't concentrate on the game. And then the Chucky Lozano goal happens, and it's pandemonium. And it's like the, 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 there's no dome. It's, there's no roof on this. But they, if there was, they would have blown it off. What a moment. What a moment. We were there in that stadium together. I was going crazy. I mean, the emotions of it, right? You just didn't see Mexico winning that game. Chucky scores. And then the, the, really, for me, what is always the story with watching the Mexican national team, maybe this is just every fan's experience, is the tension. And Mexico has been ahead against better teams at World Cups a lot over the last 
24, 28 years, including Germany back in 1998. And there was a sense throughout that game like, oh, is Germany going to get the equalizer? Are they going to, to, to kind of steal this moment away from Mexico to see Mexico hold on in that moment? And at, and at that point, remember, Germany's the defending World Cup champions. They're loaded with talent. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you go from thinking, is Mexico going to get out of this group? To literally, is Mexico going to win this tournament? Is Mexico going to get to the semifinals? Like, forget the quinto partido. Uh, what can this team be capable of? So it was, it's one of those rare wins that really just, for a moment, it obviously didn't happen, but changed what you believed the trajectory of the national team could be. Now, here's why soccer, and especially the World Cup, are very cruel. I remember joining you guys later in Rostov and then uh, Ekaterinburg for the matches against South Korea and Sweden. And when, when, when I got Russia, I remember being all this hype because Mexico beat Germany. And like Savi said, this is the time. This is the World Cup. Quinto partido. Here we go. And then Mexico beat South Korea. And it's yes. It's reaffirmation. This team is really good. And then El Profe Osorio happened. And you guys remember the fans chanting El Profe Osorio's name also after the games. And the moment was so bittersweet after the game against Sweden because we thought, well, now we have to face Brazil in the round of 16. And we all knew well, what was going to happen well, when I, we had to face Brazil. Sebi and I were in that stadium as well for that Sweden game. And I have never felt a more somber, yeah. somber tone yeah. in my life in any sporting event. Uh, and then what happened happened. I mean, it is what it is, uh, but definitely... Yeah. Okay, Sebi, uh, let me start with you here. This or that, which win was more impressive? U.S. men's national team versus Mexico or Mexico versus Germany? Well, you worded it impressive. (laughs) So if I'm going off impressive, I got to go Mexico beating (laughs) Germany. Again, this was the German team that had won the 2014 World Cup loaded with talent. Go take a look at that German 11, Herc, while you squint your eyes. Go take a look at that German 11 and then compare it to the Mexican 11 that the U.S. beat in 2002. It's not even close. So if we're going off impressive, definitely 100% more impressive that Mexico beat Germany in the group phase of a World Cup. Here's where I will cede a little bit of ground. If we're going off important, then dos a cero in the World Cup round of 16 is absolutely the more important. We've already talked about it. It's a defeat that can never, ever be corrected. Can you guys just tell me really quickly, uh, what place did Germany come in in that World Cup? Uh, It doesn't matter. That's not not the reality we were living in at the time. They were world champs. They were world champs at the time. That's fine. And I'm not going to take diminish anything that Mexico did in that World Cup because I'm not of the... The idea that it was the worst Germany, that, that's an excuse because that uh, seems to be an excuse that many people or pundits put up like, yeah, but look at Germany and what they, what they were in that exact moment. It's not Germany versus Mexico. That's not the win. It's the U.S. men's national team over Mexico. You are playing against a country that has dominated you for decades. And then in one game, in one single blow, you take over. It's a turning of the tides against your biggest rival in what is a knockout game to get to the coveted El Quinto Partido, which Mexico has never been to. Without a doubt, these men, these players, Bruce Arena's players, the Dos Acero in the World Cup, that is a more impressive win. I just hope, I just hope, to wrap this up, that we don't have to revisit the past this often. I just hope there are more important games, more important victories for both. Mexico and the U.S., and that we don't have 
to relive those very, very hard moments. As long as it's not Trinidad and Tobago, I'm fine. And just because we're sticklers for accuracy on this show, Mexico has made it to El Quinto Partido. 1986. Look it up. Look it up. Know your history. Get rid of them. And we lost to Germany penalty kicks at Tigres Stadium, by the way. Uh, Sebi. Thank you for joining us on your show. Why don't, why don't you take us home? Why don't you take us home, Sebi? That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, <laughs> Andrea Pirlo, Mauricio Pedrosa, and Nirvana, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll what see you next time here on ESPN+. Are you here, Monday, bro, or not? <laughs>